All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, everybody, a little special something for you. A little experiment that we did here recently. We invited a bunch of badass women storytellers to do a live show here at WNYC. And then we made a show for you out of it. So here's what it is. It's called Generation Women. It was started by my friend Georgia Clark. It is a monthly live show where women of different generations, from their 20s on up to their 80s, tell stories on a theme. And the theme for our little collaboration was My Digital Revolution. You're going to hear what these women had to say in just a minute. But stick around until the end of the show to learn more about the special series that we have been working so hard on and that we're making with the folks at New York Magazine's The Cut. That series also drops today. If you're listening to this first, totally fine. You're going to love both of them so much. It really doesn't matter what order you listen to them in. Okay, but anyway, let's get this one on the road. Here we go. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, your guide to this crazy accelerating world. And this is a special note to self. I present to you Generation Women, hosted by Georgia Clark and a little bit of me, right here at WNYC's Jerome L. Greenspace. Hey, everybody. We are so excited that you are here. We're pumped. We're super pumped, you guys. Okay, let me start. I'm Manoush. I host a podcast here called Note to Self. Thank you. Um, So, Georgia... Hi. 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 She very generously a couple months ago said, I do this thing, you come and you talk about a theme. And I was like, that sounds scary. I should do it. (laughs) And it was such a profound experience for me in part because um, I love being in a room where people want you to succeed. And she said, I wrote her, I sent her a draft of what I had written. And I was like, I don't know if it makes any sense. She's like, it's your truth. So if it makes sense to you, then you're good. And I was like, wow, no one's ever said that to me. That's pretty. I don't even remember writing that. I mean, it's just, wow. Yeah, you did. That's pretty good. I'll have to write that for everyone. It was good. Yeah. It was yeah. very moving. <laughs> it was very moving. And I, I felt so good after that, that I was like, would you do me the honor, Georgia, of coming to the green space to my to meet my family? And I said, yes, I do. I, exactly. I'm the you in the world. Yeah. We're so excited so to exciting. bring this show here. So I'm going to hand it over to you, lady. Sure. You're yeah. the host. I All just right. get to sit and drink my wine oh, and yeah. hear your truth. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that, Manoush. I so appreciate that. Uh, yes, welcome. Welcome to Generation Women, the show that invites a woman in her 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s to present an original story on a theme. And we have 
as Manoush said, an amazing array of fascinating women here tonight who are going to be telling you a personal story on the theme of my digital revolution. One of the through lines I noticed from reading the stories is just this theme of connection, the search for connection to others, um, parts of connection to ourselves, but you're in for a treat. And we don't do it chronologically, age chronologically, rather we take you on an unforgettable emotional journey. (laughs) All right, I'm going to tell a story now. I'm an author. Uh, My last novel was The Regulars, and I have a new book coming out uh, called The Bucket List. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm used to being a bit more long-winded, but uh, I'll, I'll just tell a much shorter story tonight for you. My digital revolution. I am and have always been a reckless romantic. Honestly, I could have had feelings for a palm tree if you told me they played in a band. (laughs) I spent my teens and my 20s giving my heart to literally anyone thanks to the power of my greatest asset and my greatest curse, my imagination. I was doing very well romantically wrecking myself in the analogue world until an invention came along that enabled the reckless romantic to really turn things up to an 11. And that was, say it with me, online dating. (laughs) Yep, online dating! Now I couldn't just invent backstories, wonderful traits and dreamy inner worlds for people I knew IRL. I could do it for strangers. (laughs) On the internet. All I needed was a picture. (laughs) Tonight, I wanted to uh, share two short stories with you. My best experience online dating and my worst. Let's start with the latter. Wayne had a paid OkCupid profile. For the uninitiated slash fortunate, OkCupid is a free dating website that does offer paid accounts, the benefits of which, something to do with sending more messages and some more access, were nominal. No one I knew had one. But Wayne had one. Red flag? Absolutely. Overlooked? You bet. (laughs) In person, Wayne was charming and confident, good-looking, attractive, and very very flirtatious. He wasn't as interested in getting to know me as he was my mouth. We ended up making out before our second round of drinks like a couple of horny teenagers who just discovered our genitals. (laughs) Passion, I thought, is the cornerstone to any great romance. (laughs) We had two more dates before I invited him to stay over. Wayne talked a big game sexually. It was clear he really wanted to get into bed. And when that happened, a few weeks after we met, I was expecting sort of an alpha male display of testosterone and virility. And while he couldn't get through the front door of my basement apartment and into the sack fast enough, once there, everything softened. (laughs) He was embarrassed, vulnerable. The sex was surprisingly tender. The next morning, we went out for brunch. Over eggs, Benny, and coffee, I turned the talk to relationship. Commitment, kids, did he want any of that? No, he said with an almost tired laugh. No way. I sipped my latte thinking, we'll see. (laughs) I kissed him goodbye at the subway and went home, happy. I flipped over my laptop to check my OkCupid messages. But there was something wrong with my inbox. None of the people I was messaging were there. It was all different people. It was all women. 
it was Wayne's account. At one point in the night, I suppose when I'd been in the bathroom, he'd opened my computer, logged out of my account, into his, and left it there. On the first night we had sex, I started reading the messages in his inbox and quickly deduced he wasn't going home to do some laundry and catch up with his roommates. He was en route to see another woman. He'd messaged her while still at my house. And he had another date that night. And then I started reading his IMs, the chats with other guys using the site. I knew I shouldn't, but I wanted to find out if he'd said anything about me. He had. She's so easy, he typed. Georgia's such a slut. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of reading a mean message about you, not intended for you, but let me tell you, it makes a pap smear seem like a fun afternoon. <laughs> I'd been nothing but sweet, open, enthusiastic with Wayne and I'd invited him into my bed, into my body and his interpretation of that was that I was a slut. Also, wasn't he the one sleeping with dozens of people? So wasn't he technically easy? Wasn't Wayne, in fact, the slut? I quickly composed a message from inside his own account and... I said I was very hurt by the way he talked about me, that I'd done nothing to deserve that. I told him not to lie to women and never to contact me again. I hit send and logged out. Wayne did not take my words of advice very well. He texted me constantly for the next week, beginning with indignation, moving to outrage, then upping it to fury. Then he begged me to contact him. He said he had a proposition I would find very interesting. <laughs> Online dating is responsible for bringing together more and more people every year. In fact, I think it's one in five uh, married couples meet online. But this digital revolution isn't always kind to its participants. An internet date appears low stakes, but there's nothing low stakes about the human heart. Also, some men are just pricks. <laughs> but I didn't stop believing in love, and I promised you a happy ending. My best online date was also my last. Almost four and a half years ago, I walked into a bar called Beloved to meet a dark-haired girl with a big, beautiful smile. Wow, I thought as we locked eyes for the very first time, she's exactly my type. Just like always, I didn't guard my heart with this woman. I gave it to her in its entirety very soon after we met. <laughs> the difference was this time, she still has it. She's kept it safe, and for that, this reckless romantic is forever grateful. Thank you. And uh, representing Team 70, Carol Prasant has been an antique stealer and appraiser. In fact, she's written both of the Antiques Roadshow's encyclopedias, another book on connoisseurship. I knew I would get that wrong. Connoisseurship. A dog memoir. And last year, she published her first novel, Catch 26. For the past 30 years, she's been the New York editor of the World of Interiors magazine. Please welcome Carol Prasant. I'm so old <laughs> that I remember being asked to leave restaurants in New York and Boston because I was wearing slacks. That's what we called pants back then. <laughs> I'm so old 
that I remember when a certain Ivy League club here in the city had a special side door called the ladies' entrance. It was there because women weren't allowed in the front door. And somehow, it never crossed our minds to even question that. And here's an ad lib. I'm so old that in my whole long life, I've only slept with one person. Are you ready for that? <laughs> I'm old enough to remember, too, that back in 1959, when my husband, the rocket scientist, who was spending his days designing rockets at MIT, suddenly decided he would like to take a graduate seminar in something called Turing machines. Why? Because he'd heard that digitization was the coming thing, and also because courses were free for employees. You may have heard of Alan Turing, that publicly disgraced gay Englishman who broke the Enigma Code and, along the way, became the man who invented the computer. So, well, back to my husband. That's the guy I slept with, of course. He began his course in Turing machines that September with September enthusiasm. But by December, he was feeling a distinct December chill. He was going to drop the course, he said, because I just don't get the point. All they talk about are all those ones and zeros. <laughs> it's kind of boring. <laughs> and that's how the Prisants didn't get into computers in the 1950s. By 1982, however, we were majorly into them. Our son had come home from college for spring break of his senior year. And while we were all sitting around a pizza one evening, he broached the subject. How on earth was he going to earn a living with a degree in art history? So talking long into the night, we inevitably got around to computers because by 1982, Everyone was talking about computers. Now, full disclosure, it took me a good half hour and both men taking turns to explain to me what computers actually were and what they actually did. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, like a proverbial bolt from the blue or Archimedes bathtub, it came to us almost simultaneously, that, hey, you could store auction results in computers because weren't innocent little auction results just lying around there, just waiting to be shown and made sense of to someone, say, in Arizona or Maine or Montana who'd bought or inherited a painting, signed, for example, and let's go big on this, George O'Keefe. <laughs> The way it was back then, this fortunate individual had no simple way of discovering what her O'Keefe was worth. So what we would do, my son and I, was offer everyone who dialed our 800 number, which was also a novelty then, 
what we would do was offer them every artist's sales result by phone and or in print. Pretty much overnight then, I learned to type DOS on my very own pale gray screen. DOS was what IBM called its 1981 disk operating system. And equally overnight, I found myself an officer of the first mother-son Mother-son art database company. <laughs> wait, wait. Actually, if you leave out the mother-son part, we were the first art database company, period. <laughs> and today, drum roll, 36 years later, our son is still appraising art, often in person these days, worldwide. And so, as I think I might have mentioned earlier, I'm old. <laughs> in fact, I've been a widow and a grandmother for quite a while now. Those are two nouns that even sound old, don't you think? Grandmother, widow, Ooh. But in case you're supposing that I don't participate in the dubious joys of social networking, <laughs> and, <laughs> let me reassure you that I, too, am on Facebook. I've been on Instagram once or twice. <laughs> Wait, and I even have a website. Not only that, I'll confess that over the past several years, I've shopped. And yes, I think of it as shopping on most of the dating apps. <laughs> Not Tinder. Sadly, I've discovered that there seems to be one interesting man in every hundred, and I'll bet you're not surprised at that. <laughs> but lately, with the cohort of age-appropriate men dwindling, <laughs> and actually, I'm not even sure that there are 500 men over 80 left, <laughs> and most of those, I'll bet, and I want to tell you, they're doorknobs. <laughs> Let me explain. An old friend told me that she liked inviting me to her dinner parties because you can talk to a doorknob. <laughs> I think she meant it as a compliment. <laughs> but now that I'm single, I've discovered that spending lots of time in the company of doorknobs <laughs> is teaching me more than I ever wanted to know about alimony and offshore accounts. <laughs> Not to mention Tom Brady's stats. <laughs> and yet, and yet, just last month, via one of those dating apps, I had two non-virtual dates. The first, okay, that was a mild disappointment. And I know, I know you've been there. <laughs> But the other one turned out to be a six-foot-eight Rhodes Scholar 
who, as it happens, is a descendant of Richard III's cousin. <laughs> and guess what? Last week, he and I went to that very same Ivy League club for dinner. And you'll be pleased to know that I walked through the front door because I'm allowed to now, thanks to all of you. And I paid for our excellent meal. And by the way, I wore pants. I am so pleased to welcome representing Team 60, Shalane McRae. Shalane is the First Lady of New York City. As First Lady, Ms. McRae created Thrive NYC, the most comprehensive mental health plan of any city or state in the nation, and spearheads a nationwide Cities Thrive coalition of nearly 200 mayors across the US to advance mental health reform. Ms. McRae also helps lead the city's gender equity and domestic violence efforts. Without further ado, please help me welcome Shalane McRae. everyone. They said, hello, everyone. You want me to be successful, right? I'm so glad to be here. I want to tell you a story. A couple of weeks ago, I received a warning. Now, it really was more like an alert. My credit card had been charged for a renewal of my classmates.com account. And I didn't even remember that I even had a classmates.com account. Does anyone remember classmates.com? Anyone? That social networking website where you can reconnect to old schoolmates. You can find that, you know, that boy in fifth grade who was the teacher's pet. Or in my case, I want to find out what happened to those mean girls who made fun of my lips every week in home economics. Classmates.com launched a decade before Facebook. It was before Facebook and even before MySpace. And before SixDegrees.com, it's solid digital history now. But when it was new, I joined with the hope that it might bring closure to some of the enduring mysteries of my earlier school days. But it did not. So when I went to the website, I was ready to click it into oblivion when I saw the name of someone who was trying to contact me. Izzy Cherry! Izzy! She was trying to reach me. We went to high school together, and I used to sit right behind her in English class. I love my English class, and Izzy was just so cool. She was short, she had brown hair that bounced when she turned, and she was Jewish. Before a class started, she would turn around and talk to me. She was totally into the same books I was reading, and we would compare notes on Slaughterhouse-Five and Cat's Cradle and God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. I guess she could have called us fangirls. Kurt Vonnegut, fangirls. Yeah. But that was all there was to it. Our relationship existed only in those few minutes of conversation before our teacher called our class to attention. Look, I had no lasting contact with the folks I went to high school with. Honestly, there just wasn't much reason to it. 
There were some nice kids like Izzy, but I had not connected closely to them. School was not an easy place for me. When I was in sixth grade, my family moved us from a a white working class neighborhood to a suburb right out of Springfield, Massachusetts. And it was really a gutsy move because there was only one other black family who lived there. My working class parents really wanted to give us kids a better education and more opportunity than they had had. But this was the 60s and early 70s, and I was the only black student in every single class I was in, from kindergarten all the way through high school. And let me tell you, not everyone was ready for a little black girl to integrate their space. Not even a sweet little polite black girl (laughs) like me. My difficulties in school were exacerbated by the fact that my amazing, hard-working parents were kind of withdrawn. Except for instructing us what to do, they didn't talk or interact with us much. Too often, they didn't communicate at all. And when I look back, I see the signs of their depression. But of course, I as a child, I didn't understand that at all. I just felt like, here it is, here we are in this beautiful, beautiful home. And there just isn't much joy. Their sadness made me feel sad too, and anxious. And and how could it not? It feels like my whole life I've tried to heal that hurt and channel the anxiety by overachieving, by trying to help others to heal, and trying to function like a healthy person. Izzy could not have known my struggles because the only place my feelings were articulated was in the fat, spiral-bound notebook that I carried with me every day. And I wrote poems, poem after poem after poem. But seeing Izzy's name made me remember those happy sparks I I felt when I connected with her. I suppose that's how classmates.com gets you hooked. A triggered memory just reels you in. And then you sign up. So I renewed my account. (laughs) I did. And I sent Izzy a message. And she sent me a message. And finally, we talked. What really struck me, and what I haven't stopped thinking about since we reconnected, is that Izzy was bullied too. And she told me that her parents struggled with mental health challenges too. And Izzy is now a therapist. She has dedicated her life to helping incarcerated men who have been judged insane to find their path to healing. Can you believe that? Izzy! (laughs) Izzy's a therapist. She's working in mental health, just like me. So I have to tell you, when I was in school, everyone seemed to know how they fit in the world. They had real friends. They, They hung out with each other. They, you know, went out on weekends together. And it was a world I was not part of. But when I got to my English class, there was Izzy. And for a few minutes of the day, our easy banter and mutual love of Vonnegut and books made me feel like a regular high school student. It's hard to know exactly why we're drawn to other people. Human connections rarely happen all at once. More often, it's in bits and pieces. We share a laugh, or maybe we're moved by sharing a book together. And from there, we begin to lay a foundation, brick by brick by brick, and maybe it grows into a friendship. That English class 
And Kurt Vonnegut brought Izzy and me together, but maybe it was also something else, a deep and unconscious recognition of shared pain. Whatever it was, here we are, 46 years later, <laughs> after graduating high school. We were able to reconnect and share parts of ourselves with each other that we weren't able to way back then. Perhaps we will continue, brick by brick by brick, to build something more. Who knows? I don't know. But what it makes me wonder is who else I may have missed out on connecting to back then? Who else would I have gotten to know better back then? I think I'm going to hold on to my classmates.com account, <laughs> at least for a little while. <laughs> Thank you. Shalene McRae. Okay, that was New York City's first lady. Doesn't every city have a first lady who comes to weird podcast storytelling events to share their deep personal truths about their digital revolutions? No? <laughs> you gotta love New York. Okay, when we come back, Teen Vogue's wellness editor shares her foray into dating apps, kind of like 70-plus Carol Prezant that you heard at the beginning there, only extremely different. And you're also going to hear from my friend, Kathy Tu, host of the podcast, Nancy, who has a love letter to her favorite online calendar. I swooned when I heard this story. Like, for real. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is a special episode isn't every episode special, but no, really, this one is because we teamed up with a live storytelling event, Generation Women, women of different ages sharing their stories on a theme. And our theme was My Digital Revolution. Here's the host of the event, Georgia Clark. I would like to welcome Team 30. Kathy Tu is the co-host and producer of Nancy, a podcast about the LGBTQ experience today. Prior to Nancy, Kathy worked on The Memory Palace, The Mortified Podcast, Masterpiece Studio, and others. And prior to that, she was an EMT and law school grad. Please welcome <laughs> Kathy Tu. All right, all right. April 13th, 2006. Los Angeles, California. I'm an undergrad at UCLA. I have no idea that I'm queer. I'm working a couple of part-time jobs, and I would like to think of myself as like an early adopter of the internet, as in like dial-up times. And ever since I was in elementary school, I would go down these internet spirals reading different articles. Back then, they called it surfing the web. I don't know why surfing, but so like on this particular night, I was surfing the web and I came across this blog post that changed my life. On April 13th, 2006, you guys, Google Calendar beta was born and my life changed forever. <laughs> so I produce a podcast and if I had it my way, this is where music would start. Um, 
If you don't know what Google Calendar is, as my co-host and best friend Tobin, who I have to mention because we're basically life partners at this point, um, would say, what's your damage? And number two, it's an online calendar. It's not hard. So I love Google Calendar. You, <laughs> you've got daily view, weekly view, monthly view. Now they have yearly view. You can have multiple calendars. And the key is to color code because then you know that personal life, work life, they can be turned on and off. There's time zone support. You guys, drag and drop features. I can go on, but I won't. So <laughs> May 1st, 2006, I put in my very first Google Calendar entry and it said, Maya at 12 p.m. Maya was the professor I worked for. It was simple, it was easy, and I was like, yeah, I can work with this. <laughs> so like, here are some of my very first entries. May 26th, 2006, I watched a movie called Peaceful Warrior that claimed to be located in Berkeley, but it was actually filmed at UCLA, it was a fraud. June 1st, 2006, I stopped eating meat. June 2nd, 2006, I actually stopped eating meat because <laughs> I had some leftover spam of soup and you don't want to waste that. In 2007, I start doing something that I think is absolutely normal but people think is weird, which is like instead of just planning out my week or month or sometimes year, I, at the end of the day, I would go back and modify my calendar to show exactly what I actually did. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You guys get me. <laughs> so, like, for example, in college, instead of having, like, a week of study at 4 p.m., I would have, like, study from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., write my paper from, like, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m., or, like, procrastinate from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. <laughs> But like what I didn't know at the time was that I was basically documenting my entire life via Google Calendar. August 23rd, 2007, my family is in Japan and we take the most Asian photo and then nobody smiles and we're just looking straight ahead. <laughs> September 3rd, 2007, I start my study abroad program in Taiwan. October 8th, 2007, I asked my favorite teacher to teach me more about Buddhism because I'm interested. In October and November, I progressively stay longer and longer after class and talk to my teacher because I'm interested in Buddhism. And <laughs> November 15th, 2007, my favorite teacher takes me to see some Buddhist statues that she loves. And then there's like no real entries until I get back to LA after New Year's. And I'd like to think of that time as grappling with my sexuality. <laughs> and... <laughs> I did notice a pattern, which is that when I'm stressed or depressed or sad, I tend to not be able to like document as much as I wanted to, and only the really important dates remain. I know the dates that I came out to my mom, because that happened multiple times, listen to the podcast, that's where it happens. Um, I know the dates and times of the times that my heart has been broken. That's happened more than once. And it's surprising to me that looking at those days, just swiping back, brings me back to that exact moment with like this exactness I didn't know was possible. <laughs> but also like, they're like, to me, like Kathy data points. 
like I, whenever I want to understand myself better or figure myself out as like a queer person, a podcast host, I look back on my calendar and it sort of like helps me figure out where, what kind of person I am now today. So I'm going to leave you with this timeline um, of how I feel maybe where I am now. <clears throat> September 29th, 2013, my co-host Tobin and I meet for the very first time and I worry that he doesn't like me. <laughs> January 15th, 2014, my grandmother on my dad's side passes away. She had dementia. September 25th, 2015, Tobin and I give a five-minute live pitch in front of WNYC. I nearly throw up. We win. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. June 14th, 2016, my grandmother on my mom's side passes away after 20 years living with Parkinson's. April 14th, 2017, I start taking anti-anxiety medication. October 5th, 2017, Lena Waithe says on tape that she and I are close personal friends. <laughs> February 5th, 2018, I think that's today, I get to stand in front of all of you telling you about my weird, enduring love of Google Calendar. <laughs> Thanks. Happy to. So next up, we are so pleased to welcome Team 20 to the stage. Vera Papasova is Teen Vogue's first ever wellness editor. Please welcome Vera. <laughs> Henry, 29. Don't expect me to pay for dinner or anything. <laughs> only, only here to hook up and you can buy your own drinks. Just a reminder. Dominic, 28. I have a girlfriend, but I'm not deleting my profile in case she leaves me. <laughs> Hi, my name is Vera, and I've been single for 83 days. <laughs> Up until now, I've been in back-to-back -back relationships for five years, which means I'd never used dating apps before. So as a writer and editor who talks about dating and relationships, now felt like a really good time to do some research. <laughs> now that I'm single. So far, I have a lot of notes, and I'm going to use this as an opportunity to air some grievances. Um, one, group photos. Every single photo is like seven people, and I feel like I'm like freaking Sherlock Holmes going through all of them trying to find like the one guy who's the common denominator in all of the photos. Like I'll get to the third photo, I'm like, okay, this is the same guy as that guy and that guy, but then he's not in the fourth photo. <laughs> So then I'm like, oh, wait, that's the best friend. Now I have to start all over again. Um, there are also some red flags I've picked up on. A lot of it has to do with profession. Number one red flag is if it just says entrepreneur. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Number, the other, another red flag in the profession department is CEO. Of what? Say another one. Founder. Again, of what? What did you find? They never list it. So, okay, my first day was actually the shortest date of my life, um, which tells you how this is going to go. I met this guy for a drink, and I get to the bar, and I sit down next to him, and I immediately notice there's, like, a huge hole in the elbow of his suit jacket, or his inner jacket, and I kind of, like, pointed it out and made a joke, and he was like, oh, yeah, that's for my ferret. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I said, come again. And um, he said, yeah, sometimes I wear this jacket on stage. Um, I'm actually an amateur magician. And I don't know how anyone else feels about magicians. I'm very against them in general. So I had to leave immediately. I just thought I was really allergic to ferrets and this was never going to work. Um, so that was an example of me not doing my research. And his profession, by the way, was entrepreneur. So I had no idea he was a magician. The next guy, I did a lot of research. He was a doctor. He had a golden retriever, which I only knew because I found him on Facebook. So I go to meet him for coffee. It's a great, like, hour and a half long date. And he's like, oh, do you want to meet my dog? I have one. And I was like, oh, you do? Yes, I would love to meet your dog. And he was like, I live, like, a couple blocks away. So I go to his apartment to meet his dog. It's 2.30 p.m. on a Saturday. And it turns out that he didn't really want me to meet his dog. Because after five minutes of playing with his dog, he says, so do you want to go to bed? And it's 2.30 p.m. And I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, so then why did you come up? And that was an example of me doing my research. Uh, then I moved on to the next person and meet this guy, Taylor, who is a very successful painter. There was zero chemistry and he was wearing fingerless gloves, so I already knew it was doomed. And, <laughs> and, um, and so then I asked my friends, you know, what do I do? Because the last guy that I texted that I didn't want anything to do with him anymore, he got really mad and basically berated me. So this time my friends were like, you know what? You had one bad date. You don't have to say anything. So I was like, okay, cool. I finally ghosted my first guy. It was a disaster because he texted me after our date on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And here's the text that he sent me after a few short ones. I know you're a busy one. Me too. A little surprising if total ghost is how you communicate that you'd rather not hang out. I felt like we had barely scratched things on the surface. I left feeling optimistic about you and was really happy we met. I'll be sorry if that's not the case. It was not the case. And I said, I didn't mean to insult you by not responding. We had a good conversation and I'm happy to know you. I felt that letting you know that I wasn't interested might be a bit excessive. He said... Not responding at all isn't what it is to be a friend. I felt kind of a connection with you, but if you're only interviewing for a boyfriend and nothing else, then say that as well. To which I said, wow, this is pretty aggressive. I don't need to explain myself, and to be honest, I feel pretty attacked. It's incredible how patronizing you've decided to be without knowing anything about my intentions. I didn't feel any chemistry, and I'm surprised that you did. The way that you're reacting is exactly why most women feel safer and more comfortable not saying anything that might upset a man. He then ghosted me. <laughs> so based on my experience, online dating is another reason why I shouldn't meet with or talk to any new men because I don't know <laughs> if they're going to take it as an invitation to scare or harass me. So after all of these experiences, my final question was, is it worth it? And to be honest with you, my answer is still yes, it is worth it because I feel like at the end of the day, that feeling of like finding out that you love the same band as someone else, even if you're not going to get married or anything, that's really exciting and that to me is worth it. And the feeling of being excited about someone new is worth it. And so I kind of have realized that hope is when you don't owe someone anything and you still treat them with tenderness and respect, which does happen. And that hope is what has made everything worth it to me in this journey of dating apps. Thank you.
Thank you so much to all of the wonderful women who contributed at Generation Women, to the awesome audience who came out to hang out with us on that cold night, and of course to Georgia Clark especially. We are fans. You can find more about how to go see a live Generation Women. Go to the website generationwomen.us. And by the way, dudes are totally more than welcome. You guys should go. It's very fun. So, as you know, by now, we are into good stories about badass women. Well, we've got much more of that coming your way with a very exciting collaboration with New York Magazine's The Cut. If you haven't listened to it already, the launch of this collaboration is in your feed right now. Go listen. The project is called No Filter, Women Owning It Online. It's me in conversation with five remarkable women of all ages talking about how they cultivate their image. They even use the word personal brand, but they do it in a not icky way and they maintain a strong sense of themselves. Yes, it is possible. You will hear from actor Trace Lissette about her experience on the hit show Transparent, 21-year-old Instagram megastar Lele Pons, You don't know who she is, but trust me, if you have a daughter about the age 14, she definitely does know who she is. You'll also hear from pioneering iconic artist Barbara Kruger and Amy Sherald, the woman who did Michelle Obama's portrait and got a lot of blowback for it, actually. You'll also hear from my personal hero, war correspondent, now anchor, Christiane Amanpour. Strong, funny, smart women, all owning it. Go listen right now. If you need to stick around, I'll tell you a few more things. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Justine Daum, Keegan Zima, Ernie Indradat, and Anya Zushik for their help producing this special series. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening. <laughs>